This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. We just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right over there. 10 yards. Woo! Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Still on the air and coming at you with another <laughs> legend of the woods. We got Davey Stuckey coming on. He killed an absolute Megalodon. <laughs> I like it. Um, I don't mean to say giant, but he killed a Mega, a Megalodon to be uh, pretty cool how he got the nickname yeah. for that deer. Um, but he goes into a lot of tactics to how he killed this deer. Um, great, great podcast guest. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this episode. Guy's super knowledgeable about um, giant hunting giant deer, and he seems like he's always on a freaking giant. Yeah, so, um, he's got her figured out, and uh, hopefully we get to talk to some of his friends here in the new fe- near future. So uh, let's get into the people who make this possible. Start out with the VIP veteran broadhead. Um, 
A lot of people down south, which we might have a down south episode coming up. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, the hog log. That's something we don't talk about a lot. Yeah. That's something, that product that he has that we don't get to do use, and I wish we did. I don't want hogs in our area, <laughs> right. but I just want to kill some hogs. <laughs> and um, I've seen some videos of that hog log, man. They really like rolling that thing around they and do. destroying it. Like and, just a circle that comes from yeah, having that thing it's pretty out. pretty cool. It's like, oh, man. Pretty cool. So, yeah, check out the hog log by VIP. Something we don't talk about a lot, and we figured we'd give a shout-out this episode. Um, you got the VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out. Yeah, the shout-out this week is actually our guest. Um, Davey did mention that he was in the Army, and he retired in 2016. So um, a huge shout-out to him for signing up and sacrificing. And Yeah, um, he said he retired, so he's in there for a while. Yeah. So we appreciate your service, man. We know that was a lot of time away from your family and um, a lot of work done for us here at Whitetail Legacy and the VIP crew. All right, let's get into Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. Um, all your taxidermy needs. Um, did your cousins get euros done, you said? Yes. And got yep. a couple euros done? Yep. So. Um, his his first buck in seven years and her biggest buck. Nice. Um, Should have so mounted them. That's what, I, I, mounted them. that's what I told him. People people are like, how many shoulder mounts can you get? I'm like, I don't know. Until I run out of room, I guess yeah, I'll just add I'll, on. I'll, I'll always find room. Yeah, yeah you'll you know find room I mean? somewhere. The kids' bedroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it's going. Like, you've been <laughs> yeah. in my house. I have no room for a full-body yeah. turkey, but I'm getting one. <laughs> you getting know what one. I mean? Yeah. I got a spot for it's it It's important. Um, ECW calls. What? I, got- I was thinking about this. So, um, I'm not really into goose hunting, but I, I think it's something that I would enjoy doing. And as you've seen Jeff's calls, like, how do you think he's got, like, the multiple different colors in there? I have yeah. no idea. Because uh, it's not paint, you know yeah. what I mean? Like It's inlays or... Yeah. It's woodworking that I have no idea about. But yeah, <laughs> right? He has some absolutely beautiful calls. He does. And when goose hunting, like, when you go goose hunting, like, when you buy a call, like, that's a lifetime call, like, in my mind. Like, goose hunters, like, once you figure out how it blows, you tune it to how you like, it's something that you're going to keep forever, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's cool that you can get something custom there, like a grunt tube, you know, you might use it a couple years and yeah. it gets lost or something. A goose call is always on that necklace, you know. Oh, yeah. With all your bands, and it's something that you carry around and have, you know what I mean? A grunt tube's like in your backpack, in your truck console, yeah. you know what I mean? It's kind of in Slate your pocket. Slate calls rolling around, turkey yeah. hunting. You know, a goose call is something that you, you know, you could get one for your kids and he could use that the rest of his life. So, wow. It'd be something pretty cool. Sitlock, all your camo and ozone needs. Um, still running the Oz 100 in my basement. Been hitting the treadmill a little bit. Been running it when I roll out. Um, it's been working pretty good. Go down there. It's smelling pretty fresh. It's hard to keep them basements fresh, man. Yeah. That's tough. So. Older house, too. So Oz 100's doing its work. Let's get into the show. All right. We got Davey Stuckey on. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing good. Um, we're out here. We didn't get the heater fired up quick enough in the garage. <laughs> it's uh, we finally got some snow here in Illinois, so it's a little crisp outside, but uh, it finally feels good. It finally feels like winter a little bit, so I, I'm kind of liking it. Yeah, yeah. It's finally snowing a little bit here in Ohio. Temperature drops about 20 degrees in the last since yesterday. Nice, man. Well. If I had a buck down like you, I wouldn't be too worried about getting out there. <laughs> right I still now. got my son to get out there. You oh know. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could. I, mean, I know you got a ton of bucks, but we're here to talk about the absolute legendary giant that you killed. Um, 
that's on Whitetail Edge now. Uh, but before we get into that, let's uh, give the listeners a and just a brief um, story of who Davey Stuckey is. Well, I'm uh, I'm re- I retired out of the army in 2016, and then uh, kind of just do nothing but hunting when I can, you know. And I film a little bit with the White Toe Edge guys, and uh, have a 13 year old and a 17 year old and a wife. So you know, life does continue on outside the woods, you know. For me, pretty nice. simple guy. I don't have a you know I don't have a lot going on. Sounds like us. You guys got the kids that are a little bit older. We're we're just starting, so <laughs> yeah, that makes it really rough there. Yeah, it's fun, learning. Lots of learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dude. what I'll put out there. Lots of learning. Mine pretty much. They you know they maintain themselves now. I yeah, think. that's got to be you excellent. You know where you're at, what you're doing, and that's about it. If if I have nice. to be, I'll be in the woods. Be home by eleven. <laughs> I'll <Yeah>. be there. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes of this show, man. Uh, I, you can kind of start it off however you want. Um, first off, how wide was the deer? That's what I got to know that right at the beginning. Um, The inside was like 26 and an eighth. Man, they get past 23. It just looks yeah. ungodly wide. You know what I mean? So 26 and an eighth, that's even tip to tip was like insane because his beams went straight out, you know? So, yeah, I can't remember what tip to tip was on the, on the outside, you know, the edge of the beam, you know, from the outside, each side, I think they got him at like 29 and seven eighths. It, wow. it was ridiculous. That is insane. 30 inches wide. <laughs> not bad. No, not bad. Not bad. But yeah, the, um, like we say, this is our podcast this is your episode. So kind of run down however you want to start the story. Uh, and and go for it okay well i'll give you guys a little bit of history on him he i found him in 2016 and he was he was 150 inch deer he had the exact same mainframe 10 he didn't really have any trash but his rack still sit back kind of a little bit goofy than normal you know than a normal deer would um didn't have much history with him i got him on the uh on the mineral side a couple times and in, in the summertime. And then I had a, a handful of pictures of him in November during rut, like he had cruised through that area where I, that farm that I was hunting. And then, um, 2017 was almost exact repeat, except he had blown up into a hundred, probably close to 180, 190 inch deer, possibly, you know, with the spread that he had, um, and at the time I didn't put two and two together. It was the same deer. I mean, cause he had a, a funky side to him. I don't know if he was injured. He injured it during velvet. I mean, you just never exactly know, you know, on some of these deer. And, um, you know, then we roll into 2018, I spot him in the bean field and happened to kind of see where he was coming out of when I saw him and realized where he was betting at. And, um, once I found him, he, he kind of never left that little area right there. I probably had 25 encounters with him, you know, between hunting him and, and preseason in a day, you know, just seeing him wow. on the hoof. Um, he was, uh, he was very unique as far as, you know, what he did. I mean, he pretty much laid in the same bed four to six days a week he was in the exact same bed and you know he's just old there's an old hog barn out there where i hunt at and uh, he was laying on one side of that hog barn depending on the wind like that was always his backstop which was you know pretty smart for a big deer because nothing's coming through it would you know the old hog barn there so he always had that as his backrest 
Um, and uh, the only time he'd ever disappear on me is he'd, whenever it rained or stormed for a couple of days, he was going across the road on me and uh, he was feeding in this cornfield. And then when it started drying up, he would come back because there's no water on that side of the road. And uh, he kind of, I was kind of obsessed with him. So I was out there quite a few evenings, probably four or five evenings a week. And every time it rained, he'd disappear for a few days. So I, I actually caught him going across the road a couple of times on me when it rained. So one of the tactics I used is, you know, the farmers where I'm at is small cornfields, 200 acres. So, you know, we're a small bean field. So I, I can't put any food plots in. The farmers don't allow it. Uh, if they can till it, they till it and plant it, which I get it. You know, that's that's how they make their living. But uh, I could, I was able to access up by his bed about, uh, I could tell you exact distances, 152 yards. And I had a corn pile right there. And once I put that corn pile there, he never left like a 10, 15 acre area ever again once I started feeding him there. Wow. Um, it was just something I, I thought I needed to do to keep him from getting run over. And every time he crossed that road, it's it's a pretty <clears throat> busy road so a lot of people is starting to see him yeah i mean yeah um, he could get hit or someone see him and try to get access on the neighbors where he's feeding in that corn or anything i'd i'd do the same thing yeah, if i would say what too i'd be yeah. right there yeah and the only thing it, it hurt me though was he knew i was there once i did that you know it was 90 degrees i'm packing corn in there and it seemed like the day he turned velvet everything changed i mean he was still bedding in the same area and everything because you really couldn't get to him but he never came to that corn pile till midnight to three in the morning after he turned hard horn you know it was like i educated him too much on that on that side there and it was 150 um, yards do you think he was still bedded that long or do you think he was somewhere else up moving and then just going there later well when i was watching him most of the time during hunting season he would stand up right up out of his bed and he would pretty much walk straight across this little area in the bean field and right down to the creek and then he'd come right back up and he'd feed till dark and then you know my entry and exit he he wasn't able to uh, see me when going it coming in or going out so i'm pretty sure just i had other cameras down there in that bottom also he pretty much stayed in that bean field and fed all night i mean he never really left that whole area wow and i i'd say that bottom area is probably about 10 to 15 acres of beans right there, you know, and just in that bottom section of the beans. I mean, the whole bean field was probably, I don't know, 300 acres. Um, so he never really left that area there. Um, so one of the other tactics I used was uh, after watching him for a while, you know, and I, I just couldn't close the gap on him and I didn't want to get up too close to his bed. There's really no trees to hang a tree stand or anything. And, you know, if you put a blind in there on a deer like that, he's going to be gone. There's no way to access to get right up to him. So I had to just watch him stand up every day about 150 yards and walk straight down to the creek. And he'd, he'd be gone for about 10 minutes and he'd come right back up. So he was going down there getting water and he'd work his way back up to the bean field. Um, but, you know, as October started rolling around, the beans started changing colors, um, started getting cooler in the nights. He was getting up earlier in the day. And then um, I noticed a couple times he would get up and he'd walk down to my left to this corner in the bean field, and it was a CRP section. And it wasn't very big. It was basically just a grown-up area. 
he was going down to that grown up area. So I snuck over there one day that it was pouring down rain and storming. And I noticed a bunch of scrapes and rubs in this one little area. So I hung a camera up and surely it was him, you know, which I didn't really see a whole lot of other bucks in that area anyways. If a buck came in there for a day, they were gone the next day. So I'm pretty sure he was pushing them out. Um, so I waited till <clears throat> it stormed again and I ran in there and I put up a tree stand and, and, uh, seven days later I killed him out of that tree stand. And, uh, one of the other things I did though, that I, I thought I kind of screwed myself to be honest was the farmers took the beans off on a Friday and then I aired them on that Monday, but that Saturday I kind of panicked and with, there was no, no crops down there. When I walked in, I noticed he was using this one trail. Every deer was using this one trail out of that corner down there that I was talking about and that CRP. I put about 25 pounds of corn there two days in a row. Both days I walked in, I dumped out corn right there. And uh, when he came down through there on that Monday, I mean, he just went to full alert and stopped, you know, just outside of bow range and stood there and stared at that corn pile that I just put in there. So I don't know if he was having some flashbacks from the other corn pile. <laughs> you never know, <laughs> you know, because he knew I was feeding him up there and then he seen that. But I kind of got lucky. There was two days down to my right. And the wind was blowing right in their faces, and I thought they were going to bust me. And I think I was just high enough in the tree, and, uh, and my thermals were probably going over the does. And he saw those does and got completely relaxed and put his head down and walked right to that corn pile. And uh, that's where I stuck him at. I stuck him at 13 yards, and I was about 24 feet in a tree. Man, don't get much better than that. <clears throat> no. Man, my shot could have been a little bit better, yeah. but I was shaking. I was shaking pretty bad. Oh, I could. I don't blame you at all. My gosh, you don't even know what's going on at that point. I, I was trying to. I didn't. <laughs> I was trying to see if you were shaking in the video, and I mean, you look pretty solid to me. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's just because we zoomed in a little bit. But if you if you actually seen the whole video, the whole video is like eleven minutes long. But we kind of zoomed in, um, you know, to try to get bring the deer up because i i was shaking so bad i double tapped the main camera um you know i actually hit the button you can see it turn red and then i take my hand off and, and it turns back to green and i didn't even notice it so i'm sitting here filming him standing down there at full alert him coming all the way in and then you know good thing i had that second angle of the gopro because i would have had nothing besides when he's standing up there wow. after the shot and uh, he come down there, and then I shot, and then I grabbed the main camera, and I wheeled around. And all this is on the GoPro, but we get zoomed in a little bit so you can see the deer. Um, but I was shaking pretty bad. You could see it, and, like, you could see me put my release on, and, you know, I was I was pretty nervous. I mean, I knew he was a giant deer. I didn't really think he was going to bust the 230 mark. Um, I really thought, I just knew he was over 200 and that's all I was worried about. Yeah. <laughs> At that point you're like, he's just giant. Yeah. You know, yeah. we always try to figure out like, if you just find a mega deer, I mean, that's a pretty solid name, you know, cause we're always like, that's just a mega, that's just a giant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you don't even know what to call it. It's, it's just really big. You know, it's, t especially if you yeah. see it and you're trying to text or something, you're like, I just seen a big deer and they're like, how big? I'm like mega. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it was funny how he got his name was, uh, I actually caught this deer going across the road one day right after a rainstorm. Cause you know, we always hit the bean fields, me and my buddies around here drive around. We always go right after a storm cause in the summertime, you know, it seems like the deer come right out and feed on those beans. And so, you know, I, I, he come across the road on me going to that cornfield when I was telling you he was disappearing. 
So I actually seen him from the road, not from the bean fed bottom where I was hunting at, but I knew where he came from. So, you know, I put out these cameras the next day and our family already had a vacation plan for Florida. So I put out, you know, I put out the Spartan cell cameras and I had them placed all around that area right there. So we fly down to, uh, we were flying on our way to Florida and we stopped in Atlanta and had a, um, a connecting flight. And, uh, I turned my phone on Atlanta airport and there he was, you know, that was oh, the man. first thing that pops up. <laughs> You're like, my, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah. I told my wife, I said, well, look at this. And she's like, and my wife doesn't really care about deer. She's like, I don't want to see that thing. I don't care about that. We're going to the beach. You know? <laughs> and I, I hate the beach. I hate the water. I hate the sand. I hate the sharks. I hate everything. So my son and I, we always talk about sharks and, and, uh, he brought up the name Megalodon right before that. So that's kind of how he got his name. I was like, well, since I'm on my way to Florida, that's cool. I'm just now getting my first pictures of him. And, you know, that's how he came up with the name Megalodon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, and then, uh, then I get home, you know, I actually came home a few days early. I mean, cause I'm not a beach person. They stayed in Florida and I flew home and, uh, I got on my computer and that's when I started putting everything together of, exactly which deer this is i mean i knew it was a split main beam but then i started going through older pictures and realized you know exactly which deer this was i mean that's how i come up with the three years of history of it so you think three to three to four is is, or do you think did you catch on to him at four to five um i caught on to him when he was four years old four years okay so, so two, yeah yeah so we i had a two-year-old that what did he do 38 inches is that what i yeah. Yeah. He did 38 inches from two to three is what I believe. So people were like, man, how do they, you, you know, he might put 10 inches on and be a giant or 28, but he might put 40 inches on, you know, you never know. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I really think he put on 30 to 40 inches that year between three and four and then four to five. Um, he just put on a lot of trash. I mean, his brows, you know, he had, he was a, 24 pointer total but he's a mainframe 10 but most of it was brows yeah he did have a lot of brow a lot of trash on the base of the brows yeah. how many points yeah. was he do you remember i was trying to yeah, count he, in the picture i was like he was 24 total man yeah. um he was kind of very unique after you know you get to scoring the guys you know the guys that scored him was like he's gonna make boone crockett as a typical officer because he went 181 as a mainframe 10 and then after his deductions, I think he he only had like nine inch deduction off the main frame. Wow! So he was still still in that booner. For... That's pretty sweet. I said that's crazy with as much trash yeah. as he had. You know, it's, even it's, on the yeah. main frame, yeah, the frame's solid. You know, the um, I mean, he has got to have twenty nine, you know, thirty inch main beams because he's so wide. You know what I mean? So yeah, well, he had twenty six inch, twenty six and eighth inch beam. Did he? Also, yeah. yeah. That, that's that beam adds up quick, man. <clears throat> you know, you get you get a couple good beams, and then the trash points. You just start adding those up. You're like, man, this is sweet points. If you want score points, is hard to beat, man. Everybody's like mass, mass. I'm like, you give me 20 nah. points, that thing's gonna be giant. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it could have a 130 you know, frame with 20 points. It's gonna be 160. You know. Yeah, I mean, you look at. Uh... You look at the new world record from Illinois. I mean, yeah. he's a 150 inch frame deer with all that trash. And, you know, trash gets you. I mean, I, mine had 51 inches of trash, 51 yeah. and some change, you know, so it all adds up. 
A hefty bag full of trash on that buck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you had made the shot on this deer, and then can you kind of go into the recovery of it? Yeah. Um, what happened was, you know, it's a shot of, like I said, I wasn't that proud of. It was more of a straight-down shot. Um, where it entered, I, I thought I was great. The deer runs up where he stands, and I got two minutes of film of him standing up there, and he's breathing hard. His ears are down. His tail's down. I thought he was going to drop right there. And uh, it was just like something just woke him up. He flipped his tail straight up, and he bolted off. And I thought, oh, my, that's not exactly at all what I wanted to, you know, see. So I went ahead, and I left for 13 hours. And, you know, obviously I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep a wink. I just watched the video about 5 million times. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after that, I kind of, you know, I brought over a couple buddies and everything. And then uh, I told my buddy, he has a little dog, and we took him out there. And the dog took us right up towards the bed, right where the deer ran. And I thought, man, this is great. You know, hopefully he's laying up here towards his bed. and That's going to be it. We got up there and nothing. So I called some more buddies. We had a drone, a couple of drones come in and had like seven or eight buddies walking around looking for this deer because we're actually shot the deer out there's hardly nothing there it's a 220 acre farm and probably 180 of it's tillable so there's really not a lot there as far as where he could be unless he's in a wide open dead but you know he wasn't um so day two was kind of a repeat well day one we looked from daylight till dark i got out there at 7 30 in the morning and we looked till dark we actually looked till 11 30 at night and no, no luck. I got back up the next day from daylight till dark and nothing. Um, I was pretty bummed out at that point. You know, I was walking through the cornfield across the road because it was still standing. I walked up every up and down every single row and uh, he wasn't in there either. So day three, my wife told me I had to get someone back to normal because I didn't sleep in two days. So I, I got up and I moved the yard, went back out there about noon. And one of my buddies had called off work half a day, came down and helped me. And uh, there was a pond up on the neighbors. I, I gained permission to uh, to go up there and look. We saw a couple of buzzards and thought maybe, you know, maybe he's up there laying. <clears throat> so we went up that pond and walked around and there was nothing there. <clears throat> That's kind of you know, I thought reality was sitting in that, you know, we're never going to find this deer. I just, I've walked by him or something because there's, you know, something had to be going on because there's not much air. So, you know, I don't imagine the deer ran for miles. Um, well, on the way back down to the truck, we looked over in the creek and then there he was. I mean, we had walked by this deer within 20 yards. I couldn't tell you. I know I walked by it four times myself. I parked within 125 yards of this deer, but he was on this bend in the curve we were walking on the wood side of the, the creek so if you didn't walk right up to the bank and kind of look straight down he was completely submerged up against this bank edge where you just couldn't see him now we when we came back the second when we came back we actually was on the side of the creek that was a mowed cut hayfield which nobody walked on that side because you could see everything when we crossed that creek down there we just walked on that side you can stand right there and look to the left and see him plain as day. Wow. Man, I, when I was watching that, like, you're like, you know, you don't know how, you know, it's been a couple of days, but you don't know how frequently you're, you're looking from the, the video, but I've lost a giant and just to find it on the third day like that, just out of like walking back to your truck, completely destroyed. I mean, you had to be more amped then than if you like walked up and you seen him crash, like the motions <laughs> had to be insane at that point. 
I, I only thing I really remember was I yanked my phone out of my pocket and threw it up to my buddy, and I just dove in the water. You know, it was like forty degree water, water, and I just right in there. You know, so it, it was a it was a great feeling. I mean, I knew the deer was dead. There's no way you can have twenty seven inches of arrow. You know, I think the arrow was like twenty seven and a half inches, and it was buried for, to the fletching. So yeah, twenty five inches of arrow in his body from his shoulders all the way to to the back of his you know, it's lodged in his back hip. And uh, so how, know, I, I go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, from where you shot him to where you found him, how far was it? <laughs> Probably 200 yards. Yeah. So that's what, how it happens, man. You get going on a trail, you think, oh yeah, this uh, one's went this way or this makes sense. And you just walk yeah. and then you're like, well, he's not here. And you go back and then you start again. But yeah, I know well, a lot of people actually... say, do that circle, you know, do the circle. You know, and try yep. to circle it out, but you know, I thought that you know I hit him after looking at the footage. I hit him a little bit back, but I pretty much ripped. I might have hit the top of the lungs, and I know I hit the liver for sure. And most of the arrow was all the way through the guts and the stomach, and it stuck in his back right ham. Um, and uh, so I figured he'd go to water. You mean, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of your deer when they're gut shot, they go to water. So we had walked up and down that creek two or three times. And, and walked by him because you just couldn't see where he was submerged up against that bank. And uh, when he left, though, he went opposite way. He went, you know, straight north, which is completely opposite the creek. The creek runs east-west. He went straight north back to his bed. But, you know, we think that he got up in the middle of the night and kind of went to the east and then back down to the south to the water because there's no fences over there. And he probably had to walk down the neighbor's driveway. And then, but then that way he didn't have to, he didn't ever have to cross anything. Yeah. Well, good props to you for putting in the work, man. Walking every roll of corn. That's, that is that time consuming, stressful. But I mean, when you got that kind of a deer down and you're just trying to close the chapter, you got to do whatever you got to do to get it done. And that's what you did yeah. now, you know, I mean, if you wouldn't have went out and got permission on that neighbor's pond, Thank God them buzzards were flying over there, you know what I mean? Just for you to walk back in that direction. I mean, you could have maybe found them during shed season or something, but the closure's not as good as, you know, a couple days after you shot them. Yeah, I mean, you know, and where he was completely submerged, no coyotes got him, no birds got him. He was completely intact. I mean, it it was great. So everything worked out on that aspect as far as, you know, the meat, but, um... Nice. Do you, you think know. he dove right off that cliff or do you think he was just in the creek and then just fell over right there and that was it? Um, I mean, the where he went down, there was a little bit of a path there. So I think he went right down to that path and just was right in the creek. Like it was almost like he knew that was the deepest spot in the whole creek for about a half a mile either way. Wow. So I think he kind of knew where that deep spot was, maybe where, you know, <clears throat> the went the, the summer gets hot and dries up a little bit, you know, these, these deer still are going to know where the pockets of water are. Yeah. You know, so in my mind, that's, that, that's my thought, but you know, you never really know. Oh yeah. You can't really tell. He could have came right back down there where I shot him at and was walking down the Creek and that's where he collapsed. But did you, the, did you have the shed from the year before? Did you have both sides or just his uh, right side? Uh, just the side that was double main beam and I actually didn't find it. The farmer did. And, um, well, what happened was that I went up to the farmer and let him know that, 
I was going to access from the neighbors and everything and showing pictures of the deer that I was after. And he looked over at his son and he told his son, go now to get that antler, you know? And, uh, so he came back out and handed it to me and, and I knew that was the exact same deer. You know, he's got eight and a half inch bases. He's got all that trash. <laughs> yeah. And I told him, I said, this is a deer I'm hunting. And, and I said, if I kill this deer, you know, would you ever sell, trade, do something where I can end up with this shit? He said, well, if you kill that deer, you just come back and see me. Well, you know, I took pictures of it and everything, and that was kind of like a motivator. And he had actually found that shed probably 100 yards from where I actually ended up airing the deer at. Wow. And uh, it was just right out in the bean field, he said. I had a little bit of chew mark on the end of it, but other than that, it was it was pretty good shape. It had a, had a big, long time busted off of it. And, um, you know, how I ended up with the shed was I found another nice shed a couple years ago on his property, about 150-inch 10 point side and uh i and it didn't have no chew marks on it or anything and he had it up on like his man at his house just you know they don't deer hunt they, they could care less also and uh i offered to trade him and he took he took the deal so <laughs> gotta love farmers that don't hunt <laughs> <laughs> yeah when hunt, when they say they don't hunt you know life's great <laughs> yeah for sure you're like oh you don't hunt none of your family hunts oh yeah this is great <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah you killed this this is deer this you know this is just a deer that you found not on your own ground you didn't grow them i mean it's just cool that you know if you put the work in and just you're just driving around and just find an absolute mega giant you know and um, I think it's really cool that he never left that area. And I think the deer that I lost was the same way. I don't think he ever left like 30, 40 acres because no one else had trail cam pictures of him. No one ever seen him. No one had sheds from him, like nothing. So did after huh. you killed him, did anybody come out with any trail cam pics or any of the neighbors knew about him or anything like that? Yeah, one neighbor I did, Javen Thomas, He's a, he kills a lot of good deer too. Uh, he came out. And uh, we actually, uh, a buddy of mine showed him a picture of that deer and uh, he wouldn't send it to him, but, you know, he showed it to him and, and he's like, I got pictures of that deer. So my buddy calls me back and says, Javen wants to talk to you. He hunts beside you. And, uh, you know, you guys, I think got the same picture of that great big giant. So me and him actually got together and talked about it. And he was actually getting pictures of that deer across the road in that cornfield, right on the backside of that cornfield. Wow. But he only had, he said he had maybe 10 pictures of him the whole, whole year. And it was always on the days that it rained and stuff like that. So that just told me, you know, that further yeah, what I knew about yeah, the deer. Further you knew. That, that's nice. So you guys kind of could get together and talk about it and be, you know, be kind of respectful about it. Cause when you get a deer that size, people are like, Oh yeah, I've never, I've never seen that deer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what? Well, I mean, Javen, you know, he, he's crested that 200 mark before also. And he, uh, he's a great guy. I actually talked to him tonight and, uh, we, you know, we were just on the same page and I let him know every time I seen the deer on the hoof and what the deer was doing. And, uh, he already said that he knew I was going to kill that deer if I hunted that farm and didn't screw it up. Yeah. Because he knew that deer was living there, but, you know, he couldn't get on my side and I couldn't get on his side. But the farmer where he hunts actually let me access the deer from his side, but I could only walk this one fence row back. But that was the fence row I needed to walk back anyways. I was going to say, what was nice about it is, you know, you didn't have to go hunt in the rain because there was no point in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's raining, this deer's not there. So. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, until I put that corn pile up there for him, but 
try yeah. to keep him at home and it worked. Nice. And you got to do what you got to do, but you talked about access. So, um, I know that's one of the main tactics that you said you think was successful for, for killing this deer. So, um, kind of break down the access, um, you found where he's bedding. You know he's bedding there most of the time. So how did you go about? I know you got permission from the neighbor, but was it like a low line area? Were you using the fence line for cover or? Um, you know, like I said, the creek was running from you know east and west, and then you know northwest wind is what I needed to walk into. So kind of just lucky how the farm set up. Well, I pulled into that neighbor, the farmer there, the neighbor, and. I told him I was trying to kill this great big deer and I showed him a few pictures of it and he kind of chuckled at me. He's like, everybody's trying to kill these big deer. You know, he, he was another farmer that really didn't hunt, but he had three or four guys that already hunted on his farm. And I, I asked him, I said, I just need to walk down that fence row right there, straight over to the, to the landowner where I'm hunting at. And he was like, well, if that's the fence row you want to use, you could do it. He goes, do whatever you want to do just please don't set up on my side because I already have a few guys hunting here and I don't want to, you know, upset them. So uh, that's the fence row I used. And I walked in with the, with the wind in my face every day. And um, <clears throat> when I got to the property line, there's a fence where it runs north and south, which is probably about 40 yards wide. It's just a thicket. I actually got down on my hands and knees and crawled. A, I mean, cleared a path through there. And then, you know, right on the other side of that, that thicket that I'm talking about was the bean field bottom. And then that deer was bedded up to the right a little bit, couple, about 150 yards. So, you know, that deer could see me when I would come down in that bean field. So when I was walking in before, you know, I was coming across the creek in that bottom area, that deer was seeing me. If I walked in from the west side of the farm, the deer was seeing me. If I walked in from the north side of the farm, I was bumping the deer out. So it was kind of the only area that I could actually get into where the deer could not see me coming in or out. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's key, man. Access is always number one in our mind and, you know, wind for sure, wind on stand, but wind accessing and your access route to where you don't bump these deer, whatever you can do to, we've had it where we've climbed in stands and there's been, you know, small bucks 60 yards away that don't even know we're there. And we're like, man, I didn't even see that deer while I was getting ready in this tree. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, if it wasn't for that farmer, you know, and I just got lucky. I, I ran into a couple of farmers that don't really care about the deer as far as they want them harvested because they eat the crops up, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's just one of the, it was, like it was meant to be, to be honest, because I can't really explain anything else because it was like everything happened perfectly except the recovery didn't happen quite exactly like I wanted it to. Yeah, that, that's a small, small problem to have. <laughs> it all turned out in the end. Um, yeah. You, you talked about um, 25 encounters or so, 20 encounters hunting or sights of him. I mean, yeah. that is insane to me. Like, if we ever have a giant deer, it's like the time that you see him is the time you kill him. So I couldn't imagine seeing him repeatedly like that. And it sounds like he was just coming out to that bean field, not coming far enough over at yeah, first. Yeah, that's you know? exactly what he was doing. Man, that's like um, tragic. Every night you're like, oh, is he going to come another 30 yards? <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? That I would... mean, and this deer was so cautious. I got him where he had come out that that his little bedding area he'd come out right there and he was 
you know, taking a crap. So you knew he'd just gotten up. And if I was watching with a bino, sometimes I'd actually see his antlers rise up where he was standing because the grass was so tall right there. You couldn't really see him except the tips of his rack most of the time. So when he'd pop out, he would stand sometimes for almost 20 minutes, sometimes till it got completely dark where I couldn't see him. He would just stand at that beanfield edge with his nose in the air and he'd be looking all the way around him. I mean, that deer was very cautious of everything. If the neighbors were up there banging on, you know, the barn where they were working on it a couple times and it, it was too much for him, he'd just turn around right, right back around and go right back into his little bedding area. Uh, if, if it rained or if he felt safe, he'd walk right on out there to that creek and come right back up and feed the rest till it got dark every time. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy that, you know, you think about like, oh, this deer is going to get up and he's going to be moving. How far can he move? How far do I need to be away from his bed? You know? But, I mean, if he's standing there 20 minutes and just scoping things out, I mean, there's – you did the right thing and not going in there and, like, oh, I'll just hang a set, you know, right on the edge of this, you know, 80 yards from him and kill this deer. Um, no, but. I wasn't going to do that. And I had a lot of guys – I get I get with some guys around here that kill big deer. You know, we all keep our little secrets. we got a very small circle. And, you know, all the guys that usually kill big bucks repeatedly – you know, year after year, always killing a, you know, I won't say mega giant racks, but, you know, an older mature deer, they were all like, no, just hunt the edge. You're doing the right thing. He's still there. You know, you just got to wait for the right time of year and the right cold front or whatever. Just keep doing what you're doing. Stay on the outskirts. Make sure you're not spooking him. And, you know, you talk to some of the other guys like, you're not going to kill him. You're screwing up right now. You got to go right in there and sit there and he'll be there. You know, I just, I couldn't do it. I just knew that long as he stayed there and I didn't bump him, I thought long as I killed him before the rut, I have a great chance. Cause there was always 10, 15 does in there also in the bean field, but they always come out of the creek. So they didn't, they didn't bed in the same area, but you know, they bedded right across the bean field from him right there about 80, 90 yards. Yeah. So he didn't have to go too far for the rut, but I see what you're saying. I'm kind of the same way. If you got a deer that you think is in the same area, and especially if neighbors know about them, et cetera, you know, you could have bumped him. He could have went across there to that cornfield, started living over there, and then your neighbor would have been like, now I'm getting pictures of him, you know, five days a week. So you did the yeah. right thing. It's so hard to choose. You know, we, we had this problem on public ground, which seems dumb because you public, you know, you're like, why well, just, just bump the deer and get in there? But we knew exactly where we needed to be, but where we were was was sufficient to kill. And if right. we went in there, we were like, man, we're going to bump them right on the private. Private's super heavily, you know, hunted. Um, what do you do? So we just played it safe, and we got them at 50 yards, but not not behind a bunch of brush and stuff. So Yeah, uh, I mean, but, a lot of guys don't realize it. You know, I won't say a lot of guys, but some of these guys don't realize that, you know, a big mature deer is only going to handle – so many times of being spooked or bounced out of his bed or you know sometimes they come back sometimes they never come back you know every de a deer just has a personality like a person you know they don't they're all different yeah i see it a lot where people are like the first year they hunt something even with me it's incredible the second year it's pretty good the third year you're like man what what the hell's going on <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like because you know it hasn't been hunted for a while you get in there all these bucks are fresh, haven't been getting bumped in that area. And by the third year, um, you know, you've pressed it too far and bumped deer. And then you learn, you're like, okay, well, I used to have, 
you know, four or five, six bucks a day during the rut. And now I'm lucky to see one. I'm not doing something right. I'm bumping does and moving doe bedding. And I feel, I feel like with the, with the amount of time that you see in this deer, like, I feel like after we get a buck on cam, you know, you know, five, 10, 15 times or so, you just kind of like get to know that deer and like his personality, what he likes, if he's always kind of skittish around the camera or if he's just kind of relaxed this day. Um, I feel like with you being able to see him, cause like you can just learn so much more obviously by seeing him. Yeah. And I, I feel like that that would have really gave you the confidence to not be aggressive um, after a couple times of seeing him during season to just really hold back. And then you also got to remember, like, I know you said you wanted to shoot him before the rut, but there's, I mean, the season is really still so long. Yeah. I mean, three and a half months, you know, more in some places. So you also got to think about that late season opportunity as well, because I mean, if the beans, you know, he could be coming back to that bean field like he always had been. Yeah. I was, yeah. You know, it definitely is a game changer. These cell cameras are as far as, getting live updates but you know i had like uh i had four cell cameras in this bottom field area and you know he was mainly only on two of them the other two random and i mean he was walking 30 yards behind one of them all the time to go down there to get water i had one on that point over there and i don't know how i i wasn't able to get him on that camera it was like he knew it was there or maybe he saw me set that camera in there because when i went in there the first time i didn't know exactly where he was betting at i kind of knew the area and i didn't really realize he was on the outskirts of that area um, more than he was you know inside that thicket he was pretty much right on the edge of that thicket and he kind of sat on this little knoll where he could see everything around him and I'm sure he probably watched me put that camera there after realizing where he was at. And he had never walked by that camera, not once. He walked 30 yards behind it every day. Yeah, that's a lot of people say that. I ain't got nothing on my cams, you know what I mean? <laughs> but we see it. Yeah. We'll go hunting. What did we see, like seven deer? And yeah. none, of, none of them were none on camera. Them. We were like, man. <laughs> on the mobile. Yeah. On the mobile cam. On the mobile cam, you know. We think we got it right on this hot scrape, you know, and – Seven yep. deer, bucks, does, everything walks right behind it. We're like, what the <laughs> hell, man? Yeah. So. You know, I mean, you know, we, I just don't think we give a, these deer a lot of credit. I mean, some of the, old, you know, the older deer, they didn't get that old from being stupid. And, I mean, you know, if you can walk in 100 yards from that deer and he's watching you, you know, that deer, a lot of deer are going to be curious and come over and you might get a handful of pictures that might not bother him. And some deer that, you know, they're not always going to go the opposite way every time I see somebody walk down that certain field edge or something like that. You know, and just like the instance Cody was talking about there is like, that was kind of an eye opener for me. Um, like I really had been hunting based off what was going on on the cams. And then, um, you know, obviously we don't have a giant piece. So I was like, there's, there's just no deer there. And then, you know, we go hunt and we see, you know, six, seven deer and none of them hit the cam. And I'm like, you know, these deer have been here this whole time. It's just, they're not walking where we expect them or want them to walk. So, um, just a little tip and just the cams are nice, but they don't tell you everything. No, they absolutely do not. Um, just like, uh, I got a cam. I got two or three cameras in that bottom right now. I mean, I'll say it now because he's gone. But we had another one that was related to Megalodon, um, probably his brother or a sibling or something. He was well over 200. Also, he's disappeared on me, um, 
and I, I keep stuffing that bottom just praying that he's not dead, but I'm pretty sure he must be dead. Um, you know, no sightings of him, no shits. No, I put out a Facebook post about him and hoping that somebody had some information, even if they harvested him. You know, I just like to know that the deer was harvested. Yeah, you know, I wonder if, I, wonder if I was wondering if I wasn't the only guy that did that. Like, every time I see a buck, I'm like, is that, nope, not what I got. You know, you're like, <laughs> is that what I got on trail cam? Because you see someone post, you know, like Bucks of yeah. Illinois or something. You're like, eh, nope, nope, looks kind of similar, <laughs> but not the same. You, so, you know, we, I saw, so I put cameras down there and I wasn't getting very many pictures. I moved that camera 50 yards on a day that was raining and set it up and, and, a lot, and this week alone, I've probably had 10 different bucks on it, you know, just for being 60 yards in the same field, but 60 yards in a different area. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one thing, you know, you're exactly right. Cameras are going to tell you everything. Yeah, they're awesome, yeah. man, especially the cell cans. We're a huge believer in those. Um, we got three of them now. Mm-hmm. And we they're just not going to have to go in there and check them. It's just huge in those key areas. But like you said – that key area and you know a buck might be bedded right behind that cam and you'd hell you'd never know you know what i mean so it's tough to decide on that cam you almost need to do like an observation set of that area and that's kind of what we were doing that night was let's go in here we're not going to press into the money money stand but we're going to press in a little more and do a observation set and then you know boom there's you know a lot of deer moving nothing on camera and we're like well what the hell we've been saving this piece waiting you know because the deer movement hasn't been good when in actuality has probably been pretty decent the whole time so you live yeah. and learn man there's not yeah, a year other, that's been by yet that i haven't learned 80 yeah, things I mean, <laughs> the other the other big thing that i do and a lot of my buddies say i'm stupid but i do not put up no tree stands and i do not put up any blinds i don't put up any cameras unless it's pouring down rain or about to storm like crazy i mean when i hung that set for megalodon it was 30 mile hour winds lightning thunder and i was up in the tree 25 foot putting a tree stand because i was i was banking that it's going to wash my scent away and that he's going to stay bedded till that storm's over you know and to me the last two or three years that's that's the only time i put stuff out yeah, we've done that, or we're doing a lot of hanging hunts recently, trying to yeah, keep I stuff like hunts too. keep stuff fresh. But we we try to hang them on like really, really early in the year. But if we trying to make a move on a buck, it's a hanging hunt like every mm-hmm. every time. Um, we got you know we just run the lone wolf standard lone wolf stuff, and if once you run it good enough, and you you can get into a tree really quiet. One thing that I will say is, though, is the damn shooting lanes. Like, going in there on a storm, yeah. you know what I mean? You could get in that yeah. stand and have time to get some shooting lanes cut because that's, that's, that's boogered us a lot, you know? Yeah. You're doing a hanging hunt, packing in, and ground scent is just so huge, you know what I mean? I just think that's, like, one thing that people overlook so much. You, you cannot walk where these deer are going to walk or they're going to – Hell, I got busted right. by a possum this year. I got busted <laughs> by a possum. By a possum hit where I walked in and I just turned around and walked the other direction. I'm like, I, just, I ain't, I ain't going to shoot a deer today for sure. But, uh, but I mean, so going in there and being able to cut stuff like that on a rainstorm day would be awesome. Because then, you know, in your mind you would think everything I just touched is gone. I can whack out some really good shooting lanes and then you ain't going to worry about it. But uh, Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, I try to learn these deer before I do some of my setups. Now, I've got a couple farms, and I've hunted my whole life. 
and I and I, what I the other tactic I use is I go soon as the farmer packs his stuff up and leaves, like that next day or two after they've got all their wagons out of the field and semis, and tractors and combines and everything. I go right in there and drive right down to the where I'm going to put my stands up and put them up and leave. And then I don't I don't hunt them till you know season comes in or you know the time is right, and you know just because everything's already you know like megalodon this is what i didn't tell you guys this part of the story but they took crops off that friday and the wind kicked up about 40 mile an hour i left my tree stand early and uh i got down down to uh my truck and i looked down at my phone and he was standing at my tree stand and i missed him by about four minutes oh my gosh you know and, and the and in my mind the farmers were out literally 40 yards from his bed and they were out there talking they were load you know the beans were filling up the wagons out of the combine and i filmed the combines and everything you know in the field and thought well that's cool you know blah 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 whatever and i thought in my mind when the wind kicked up and the farmers were right there i was like as cautious as this deer is he's going to stay bedded till till dark you know so i got down and went ahead and left and had a cell camera hanging on this on the setup by my tree stand not too far like 20 yards or so and he literally walked right down through there and i missed him by about four minutes that's crazy um you had said on on your video that you thought you were gonna be able to get on him earlier in the year how hard did you hunt him early um after season opened up i actually hunted this deer every day but two days the whole season um, I only did evening hunts, but he was, you know, from my cameras and where I was feeding him and everything, early season, I thought he was going to get up out of his bed and walk right down this beanfield edge, and he just never did it. Once he turned hard on, he completely changed, but in my mind, every time it rained, it was 90 degrees, I was still getting pictures of him all throughout the night on a couple of different cameras, so in my mind, I just needed him to make one mistake, so I really thought I was going to kill him early. Yeah, if you had perfect access, good wind, I mean, yeah. go in there and try to get it done. It's like you said, you you wanted to kill them before the rut in your mind. So you're in early season, and our, we don't get to hunt early season, like October 1's for us. And we see the bucks out in the field and everything. We're like, man, dude, if we could just get out there, <laughs> yeah. you know, September 15th even, you know. With like it, Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my dude. Yeah. When that Kentucky when that Kentucky velvet season went in, we were on some absolute giants in velvet. That buck's got to be 27 wide, you know mm. what I mean? It's just ridiculous. And yeah, out there just eating beans like no no care in the world. Right before a rainstorm, out there just munching down. I'm just in my truck glassing him <laughs> like, man. Yeah. If I was in Kentucky, it, I could be hunting right now. <laughs> if, if season would come in early in Ohio like it does Kentucky, we would have killed both of those deer. Yeah, uh, me and my son would have killed both of them. Uh, but my son ended up taking a, a really good deer last the year before. Also, same year I took mine, um, he killed a. Uh, 156 inch nine point that was 25 and seven eighths wide wow that's a giant nine point yeah so i mean yeah. we have we have you on for the legend series but you you've killed multiple giants just kind of break down maybe like three or four main things that you think makes you successful year after year um definitely my entry and exit that's something you got a key on um 
the other thing is just you got to be dedicated in time. I know a lot of guys and a lot of my buddies still do it, and I, I see it on Facebook. And, you know, they don't want to get out and hunt when it's bad, bad weather or, or this and that. And, you know, sometimes you got to be out there. You, you got to stay. You got to have perseverance. You know, you got to be out there all the time. You can't give up, especially if you got a big dude in your area. And then I think the other big thing is um, probably just, I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, after your dedication and your entry and your exit, you know, you just, you can't spook a deer either. I mean, that's probably one of the big thing is I think you can't go in and, and go right to his bedroom and hunt the deer. I mean, there's some instances you can, but I think if you've got a, a mega giant on, on camera, I think you need to sit back and try to watch the deer as much as possible in the summer and learn what he does. And, and you got to just take all that information and put it on paper and, and sit down and look at it one day instead of just saying, I'm going to that tree right there and hang a tree stand and go. You know, you got to you gotta look at the wind. And you also got to be patient. You can't hunt when it's a bad wind. You know, and, you know, the other thing that I think helps a lot of deer, how many nine-to-five jobs have saved a deer's life. Yeah, you a know? ton. Every, it seems like every <laughs> Monday you go back to work, you're like, giant. <laughs> yeah. yeah they know there the weekend is. they know it's the weekend they're like weekends are for the boys we got to stay in our beds we got to stay in yeah. our beds <laughs> you know so other guys that you know when it comes to that you know I, I try to keep the pressure off the deer uh i've got mainly i really only have two farms that i hunt i had one of them since i, I killed my first deer off it when i was nine years old so i've hunted it for like 32 years and then the other farm that i killed megalodon off i've had it for six years but, you know, it took me the first two or three years to learn the deer movement on those farms, you know. And so, you know, I don't know if you learn a lot from me since I hunt the same farm, but these guys that hunt public land and, and pick up a farm, you know, those are the ones you probably really got to ask the questions is what you key on. You know, for me, I kind of know the farms. So when I, I, I see a deer on it, I, I kind of observe the deer and that's it for me, you know. I kind of figure him out. Um, well, this year I can't. I can't really say that. I went in the deer that I found this year, the double drop tine. Um, saw him driving down the road. My buddy did. Calls me, tells me about the deer. We try to get gain permission. We got permission on the east side of this farm. Uh, well, beside that farm because we couldn't get on as a 20 acre piece. And I figured that deer out and I harvested him the first first evening opening season. <laughs> Can't get much better than that, man. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, you said public or private. I, I think it's all the same, man. The deer act different. Yeah. The tactics are a little different, but giant deer are giant deer, man. That's just, yeah. that's just how it is. And they're not dumb. Um, you got to do stuff. And I, you know, like you hear a lot of shows or something or a lot of people's Facebook posts. It's this product, you know, I couldn't have done it without this product or I couldn't have done it without, you know, this ground or something, but. I like to ask that question because every time, I think every time it's been dedication or time and stand or, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, products are going to help guys that use them properly, you know, just like, you know, one of our sponsors is Spartan cell cameras. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to them because I didn't have to go down there and check on my camera and leave my scent everywhere. Yeah. If you would have had to yeah. check that camera, it could have been devastating, especially if you had it. You know, yeah. some people no, hang cameras in beds. I mean, that's just insane to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, <laughs> Yeah. 
you know, and I had a camera down there that died and it had been dead for three weeks, but I refused to go over there because once I figured out exactly where this deer was sleeping, he could see me and everything. That Spartan camera just sat over there with no batteries in it for, for three weeks. You we've know, had, we've I, had cell cams out there yeah. with no batteries a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Those cell yeah. cams eat through the batteries like a mug, man. You got to do lithiums, yeah. lithiums yeah. all day. So, but uh, yeah, uh, I did, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's just one of those things. You, you just got to stay dedicated, you know, learn the deer as you can. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on and telling us the story of Megalodon, an absolute incredible deer. I, that thing had it all. It had tines, main beam, growls, trash. trash. I mean, when you get 230, you got to what, – what exactly <laughs> did it score? He scored 232 and – I think it was two eights and then after deductions he was 223 and five eights so. wow he was a megalodon yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> he, was a mega. he was a mega so i can't even use that term anymore now i'll be like i seen a mega <laughs> homie's gonna think of 230 out there yeah. right? <laughs> you seen a 230 no 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 it's like a 160 yeah well, everybody uses big buck down now you know it don't matter if it's 120 or yeah 300. everybody says big buck down so, yeah you know it'll still all be used I think everybody but me uses that. I don't get to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but all right, man. We appreciate you coming on. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this episode. Went into a lot of tactics of how he got this buck done. Like we say, man, it's always the same stuff. It's access, dedication, time and stand, and not spooking these deer. Hunting smart, and uh, he he really really showcase all of them in this deer and like i said if you want to see this this hunt go down you can see it on uh, whitetail edge and uh, we will tag his instagram so you to follow him there and uh dude puts down his legends so yeah he's, he's a guy to to follow and, and learn some stuff from so we hope you guys enjoyed this episode hit that subscribe button and uh tell your friends that this is the best whitetail podcast out there because it is <laughs> whitetail legacy or leave a legacy whitetail legacy's out <laughs>